0: and Central Sports Staff's weekly podcast where we talk anything and everything sports. I'm Sports Editor Dan Diadana, along with Assistant Sports Editor Bo Troutman. And today our topic is our top 10 most devastating moments as sports fans because as we all know, sports is more about losing than it is about winning in the long run because that's how we relate to life. And Bo and I have compiled some of our most devastating moments as fans. And there are some interesting things, some some stories you'll remember, some games you guys will remember. But also probably some that you won't, and just different ways that things have hit us differently. And just uh, you know, part of it is you know about being a fan, right,
1: Bo? Oh yeah. Hey, you know what? Sometimes after coming back after a tough loss, man, sometimes there's like there's a real solidarity there. You know, to be a real fan of like a team, you know, you gotta get through those tough moments. So
0: for sure, yeah. anybody can cheer on
1: a winner. Exactly. Yeah.
0: There's there's a reason that that there's a huge group of Yankee fans. Has maybe the biggest fan base, but also everyone who's not a Yankee fan hates the Yankees. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's, it's a there's nobody in the middle. There's nobody like oh I can give or take the Yankees, whatever you know. No, right. you either love them or you hate them, and uh, you know that's that's what the part about being a fan. So we're gonna we're gonna get right into it here, and I'm gonna give you my top ten devastating moments as a fan. Uh, my number ten is. String of things, uh, instances involving the same person. <laughs> uh, it is Nelson Cruz devastating the Tigers. Uh, Nelson Cruz was a, uh, is still a baseball player. Uh, he uh, was mostly a DH, sometimes outfielder. He was on the Rangers and then the Orioles. And in his career, you ready for this stat, Bo? In yeah. his career, up until a few years ago, he had hit 16 home runs in the postseason. And of those first 16 home runs he ever hit in the postseason, eight of them were against the Tigers. Eight in the postseason. Oh, my God. One person. Um, I wrote a column about this from that uh, instance in 2011 when he was on the Orioles at that point where he hit the home run that sent the Orioles uh, to the next round and eliminated the Tigers in the middle of their run where you thought they were good enough to get to the World Series every year, and they only got to the World Series once and lost it. So, uh, the hardest part for me as a fan was that Nelson Cruz was one of the people suspended for steroids. So, when he was on the Rangers and he set the record for hitting whatever, he hit five or six in the a, in a single series, he single-handedly eliminated the Tigers while cheating. And that, just as a fan, just eats me up. Yeah. Because that, that first series with Texas, he hit all those home runs, and both of Verlander's starts had a rain delay and I'm so Verlander was useless. Uh, the, you know he pitched a couple innings, but then it was such a long rain delay where the game got suspended to the next day that it eliminated two of Verlander's starts and the same guy hit all these home runs. So then he joined the Orioles and did the same thing <laughs> to the Tigers. And I wrote in my comment, "What point do you just start walking a guy every time?" <laughs> because eight home run, eight postseason home runs is ridiculous to allow anyone to do. Yeah, um, you know back in the day. After hitting a couple, you would get knocked down a few times by the pitchers. <laughs> um, so that is that is number ten for me um, in that stretch of things. Uh, in uh, number nine for me is the I think is the '94 season uh, Michigan
1: football against Colorado when Cordell Stewart oh. threw a sixty-some yard oh.
0: hail mary pass that somehow got through the defense and bounced off the shoulder pads slightly of somebody right into Michael Westbrook's arms for a 60-yard Hail Mary touchdown. That was a year Michigan was uh, one of the favorites ahead of the year to win the national championship, and I was that wasn't the first game. It was the second game or so of the season, and it ruined everything, and it was just one of the most stunning lapses in defense, but also perfectly executed Hail Mary place all at once. Um, And that was, for me, that's number nine, because that was, you know, in my heyday, I was 12. You know, we were going to Michigan games at that point. Uh, They had Tyrone Wheatley, Todd Collins, Ty Law. You know, they had like five five or six players that were drafted in the first or second round that year. Like, (laughs) this this was the team that was finally going to, you know, do it. And I feel like that team and that Tailspin them. I feel like they lost four games that year um, after losing that heartbreaker. It really affected them. Um, so that's number nine for me. Uh, so I'm sure that's on a lot of Michigan uh, lists of people. Um, number eight is the Calvin Johnson rule. It's my only Lions no. thing on there. There's plenty of things to be disappointed about in when you're the Lions. But you also have to expect that heartbreak of just them stinking or the ref blowing it for them, or whatever. It's just happened for the Lions over the years. For me, the one thing, the thing that irks me so much about the Calvin Johnson rule is it. all of these rules really started happening because Calvin Johnson was so much better than everyone else yeah. that's <laughs> ever played wide receiver. And he was able to do these things that you never thought were even possible. And then you're like, well, I don't know if that's really a catch. You know, It almost seemed like they were punishing him for being too good. Um, At first, and with all the crime and punishment it seems that the Lions have taken over the years from the league, from other teams, from the refs, from the fans, whatever really we're gonna say that now your guy's so good that he's that his catches aren't good or are illegal catches. And then that to me, that was that was the end for me with the NFL. I mean, obviously, I pay quite a bit of attention to Kirk Cousins and what he's doing, and I enjoy watching him play, but as a whole, for me. The fact that we still can't really define what in the heck is a catch or not, and the fact that it's affected the Lions, one of the most storied bad luck teams on top of it, it just, to me, that I, that was like the moment I was really sped up with the NFL. And uh, if not for Kirk Cousins, I probably wouldn't be paying attention at all mm-hmm. uh, outside of what I have to do as a sports editor, obviously. Um but that was the moment for me, and it wasn't just that it was the moment. We all remember that moment against the Bears, which was the first one. But Calvin Johnson had like ten of these in a two-season
1: span. Yeah.
0: And any and they most of them were overturned, and most of them would have were near the end of games and would have been Lions victories, and they were Lions defeats. So there were plenty of disappointing things that happened after that. But to me, I was done with the NFL, so they didn't disappoint me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I come to expect that from the Lions but that's still punishing somebody for being too good in my book was, it was really too bad number 7 is something I did not see live I think it's the only one on here that I did not see live but it just has been played so many times and I've gotten to know too many people around the story and everything else it's the 1986 World Series Bill Buckner goes through your legs uh, in game 6 and that just It just makes it pains me, not because I'm a Red Sox fan, not because I'm not, not because, you know, I hated the Mets who ended up winning the series because I don't, but because the anguish that that caused not only on him as a player, but in his life, Mm -hmm. he's forever remembered for this. There's other baseball players that this has happened to over the, you know, over the years, but his is the most famous because it involved you know, people tied it into the curse of Babe Ruth. You know, and everything else, but just the fact that most of the other games they took him out for a younger player and then this one they didn't, so isn't it the manager's fault? And also it was the game ended up before that being tied because they the manager brought in a relief pitcher that stunk and threw a wild pitch with a runner on third base. So he was totally set up. Everyone remembers that, that famous error going through his legs. But they were up by several runs going into that inning and there were two outs. So I blame the relief pitcher more than Buckner, and the manager more than everybody. So
1: yeah.
0: uh, that's just that's just tough, and it's just part of you know baseball history. And of course, it was Game Six. The Red Sox could have come back and won Game Seven, and then everyone would have it wouldn't have been so life altering for Bill Buckner. But no, they could not come back and win Game Seven. Uh, so that's number seven for me. Yeah. Number six, uh, sticking in the line of. Uh, the Tigers' postseason runs, the, the most, the last one of that when they lost to the Red Sox and Benoit gave up that walk-off grand slam to Big Papi, uh, that was brutal to watch because the Tigers were up. They won the first game at Fenway, and they were up two or three runs in the ninth of the second game, and they would have squashed that series had they won this game. And the Tigers don't know what to do with relief pitchers. Joaquin Benoit was closing because Valverde had stunk after being lights out. And they just didn't know what to do with closers. So let's put the best setup man in the history of the game, basically, Benoit, and make him a closer. And then guess what? He stunk because anybody putting on a Tiger uniform that's a closer stinks. (laughs) And, you know, it shouldn't have even gotten to that point. Um, And... So that's like one of the – like people like to knock Jim Leland a lot. That's the only real knock I have against Jim Leland, to be honest, is that the way he handled that game. Um, But watching that ball go out, oof, you know, you just – it was a complete series turner. Um, Going two games up and going home, uh, you know, to just being out of it like that because they never recovered. Um, Number five for me, the 1988 NBA Finals. Pistons-Lakers, game seven. Foul called on Bill Laimbeer against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the Pistons up one, I believe. It, it, watch that replay. There's no foul. I mean, Bill Laimbeer fouled the heck out of a lot of people over the years. Mm-hmm. He played good defense on that play, had his hand up, his hand was straight up, and, you know, their uniforms touched or whatever, but that's going to happen under the basket. And Kareem made both free throws and the Lakers won. So the Pistons were that poor call, and that was devastating at the time. I mean, I was a kid, and you just... It was the first time I remember thinking something was actually unfair in sports. Like, that's not fair. He didn't foul him, And if you look at the replay, there's absolutely no foul there whatsoever. And so they got totally got hosed. And uh, so the bad boys... the rebound and ran out the clock so the bad boys would have won three in a row if not for that call a lot of people don't remember that
1: i didn't actually know about that
0: they would have won three in a row not two in a row and they end up beating the lakers the next year then beating the trailblazers and then giving away to michael jordan's dynasty but they would have won three in a row if that foul call that phantom foul call was not called um, props to Kareem for making both free throws. By the way, with oh, Game yeah. Seven on the line, <laughs> um, when you're down one, you got to make them both. Um, so, but yeah, it was that was just again the first time I really thought things were unfair uh, in sports. So, uh, number four, everyone's favorite in the state of Michigan, 2015 uh, Mich- <laughs> Michigan State football game. Uh, all Michigan has to do is run out the clock and punt uh... the ball. And they cannot punt the ball. Mishandled snap. Michigan State pounces on it. Runs down and scores. And uh, this, is, this was a devastating moment for me. Not because I'm a Michigan fan. Because at this point in my life and career, I didn't care who won. I was covering the game. And I had to delete my entire, basically my entire story in a matter of seconds. Because the entire thing changed on that punt. And I had to write a story about uh, West Ottawa native Desmond Morgan, who was a starting linebacker for Michigan at that point, and get his his horrible perspective on it because it was so devastating, uh, you know. And that was along the long that was the year also that I was getting uh, yelled at by a lot of readers for my too much Michigan or too much Michigan State coverage, and I actually had to write a column showing that I wrote that we that we ran sixteen stories. In the season leading up to that on Michigan and 15 on Michigan State and the one extra on Michigan was a feature leading up to that game on Desmond Morgan who was from Holland so it couldn't be more objective Mm -hmm. and uh, so that's why that was double devastating for me because then it got I was writing from Desmond's perspective the Holland perspective and I got bashed more than I ever have in my career Uh, even though the two stories were next to each other the fact that I played up the local homegrown person's devastation more than the wild finish uh, for Michigan State, and uh, even though the stories were right next to each other in the paper. So uh, (laughs) I'm not not salty at all about it still, Bo. I don't care what you say. (laughs) So uh, number three, June 2nd, 2010, Armando Galarraga about to throw a perfect game. Jim Joyce blows blows the call of the runner at first, who was clearly out, oh. and he called him safe, cost him a perfect game. I was devastated. First of all, for so many reasons. First of all, it was right up against our deadline. Um, I was in the newsroom at this point, and we're trying to figure out what the heck to do because there were so many things that came out of this. Afterward, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and we were wondering if we we're going to be able to get this. And we, I think, we ended up holding our deadline for a little bit because of it. But thankfully, this one had a better conclusion. You know, the umpire apologized, has been sick over this call his most of his life since. They wrote a book together about it, you know. And Armando Galarraga showed such great sportsmanship, shaking his hand the next day, bringing out the lineup card. And to him when he was the home plate umpire and just you know just being class all the way about it but in the moment there have only been i think eight, six seventeen perfect games ever in over 150 years of major league baseball uh 100 and almost 150 years of major league baseball so that's incredible history to be erased yeah. um, by a bad call. Um, but, again, you feel bad for the umpire, too. It's not like he was trying to blow the calls. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he got death threats and stuff, too. I mean, that's ridiculous, if you ask me. Um, so speaking of death threats, we're going to number two. We're going to jump right to number two, Steve Bartman game. Uh, so, again, this whole situation, I can't believe people took it that seriously to give this guy death threats either so i'm sure most people know this story 2003 playoffs against florida cubs were five outs away from reaching the world series for the first time since 1945 and a foul ball goes into the stands and Moises salu the cubs left fielder tries to catch it fans bump into his glove the ball falls down he doesn't get out uh bartman was the one, Steve was the one that touched it Now, in his defense, the two people around him were also reaching for this ball. So, I don't, you know what I mean? He got singled out because he was the one that touched it. But the other two people were in the way, too. And I really blame Moises Alou, to be honest. He was so upset. He threw his glove down on the field in the middle of the play and just yelled at the fans, you know, and whatever. And then it opened up an eight-run inning because the next batter hit a grounder and a shortstop, Alex Gonzalez, who made an error. And that led in a couple, you know, and then that led in some runs, and it just snowballed from there. Um, and again, just like the Buckner thing, there's a bad call in the 85 World Series with the Royals and Cardinals. This is game six. The Cubs still could have come back and won game seven, but they did not, um, even though they led 3 nothing in game seven. Um, but this is personally, I'm a Cub fan, so this was tough for me. Also because I, in the uh, online lottery, I had ticket for game
1: five at Wrigley Field for the World Series. That never happened.
0: So that was just it was just sickening to watch and I feel I don't obviously I don't blame Steve Bartman again. Everyone else was reaching for that ball too but that was that was really horrible to watch as a cup fan. Another storied franchise that kind of you feel like no matter what happens the rug's going to get pulled (laughs) from underneath them Um, but since they have won the World Series and you know, all is right with the universe or something like that. Uh, but at the, at the moment, that was very devastating uh, to me for sure and all of Cubs fans. Uh, but again, they could have won. They were still ahead when that happened, and they also could have won Game 7. So uh, so basically, if something happens in Game 6, everyone's sunk because no one has been able to come back and win Game 7 after something like this. So uh, that leads to number one. And uh, final four championship game. Michigan versus North Carolina. Chris Weber with the ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> traveled. First of all, he traveled. It was the game on the line. April 5th, 1993. He traveled and that did not get called. And The floor called a timeout that Michigan did not have. Yeah. They were down two points. They could have come down and tied or won the game in the final seconds. They had enough time to run a full play and they had one of the most talented teams ever assembled. He calls the timeout. They have no timeouts. It's a technical foul. North Carolina makes free throws. And that's it. The game's over. It was, first of all, that was for a college kid to have to endure something like Buckner did when he was a 38-year-old veteran. Sticks. Because obviously he didn't, you know, there was some miscommunication with the timeouts and whatever, and it's the heat of the moment, and you're a college, I mean, he's a college sophomore, you know, you're talking about a 19-year-old kid, and it was awful, I mean, Michigan had lost the year before in the final, this was the year they were going to finally do it, and for him, the, the face of the Fab Five to have done this, it was just devastating, and he was inconsolable afterwards, understandably so, his press conference afterwards, one of the most painful things I've ever watched in my life. And there you are, you know, and in that, in that instance, in the finals, with everything, it erased everything that was possible in the last few seconds. And that was just, even for the, I mean, unless you're a strong North Carolina fan, everyone else still, you, you can't help but be stunned by what happened and feel bad for what happened. Um, but I've never experienced anything like that, watching sports that was so, you know, where you, where it was the player that made the mistake. It wasn't the umpire, but it was in college. It was on the national stage. Everyone in the world was watching. They had, you know, they were so devastated to have lost to Duke the year before and they had their chance and the the chance was all in front of them again. And then. You know, then the, the Phantom timeout. Just horrible. Just horrible. Um, so that's, that's definitely number one. I was, uh, I was 11 years old then. Um, you know, I'd watched the Fab Five, grew up in Ann Arbor. Uh, they were so exciting to watch and they're by far the greatest team never to win an extra championship those two years. Uh, they probably could have beat a lot of teams but they they goofed at the end there and the year before they lost to a Duke team with the best at the time the greatest college basketball player of all time Christian Laettner and the, probably the best team you know they've been in the finals what two or three three out of four years or two in a row there with UNLV and then with Michigan Um, yeah just and then then he left then he went pro and the Fab Five was down to four, and they still made the Elite Eight, but nothing was the same. And it, that's the way the it's that's not just that they didn't win. That's the way the Fab Five dynasty ended. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was the, that was the toughest part. So that's my
1: number one. Yeah, um, I remember reading a story like Michael Phelps was watching that game. He's, he went to Michigan and he like he cried and like <laughs> like all the I've read so many stories about people's reactions to that game. Oh my gosh. It
0: was horrible. It was horrible to watch. And then, like I said, the the bottom fell out. He went pro and everything was different. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Um, But
0: but what I... mean, you think about it. The seniors on that team were freshmen in 1989 when Michigan did win the national championship with uh, with uh, Ramil Robinson and Glenn Rice. So they were (laughs) in the final four. Three out of four years span there. Four out of three out of four, four out of five year span. I think it was like fifth year seniors that were red shirts or whatever. But like that's that's insane. Yeah. To think about a team that's not Duke, that's not North Carolina, or that's not almost like UConn or something, and or Kentucky, and mm-hmm. here in Kansas. But Michigan, you don't think about that with Michigan. You think more Michigan State with Izzo and all his Final Four uh, trips plus Magic Johnson when they won over Bird. But yeah, that was. That was pretty epic time, in Michigan basketball. So, but yeah. devastating,
1: right? Yeah. So,
0: all right, I'm, I hand it over to you now, Bow, for your yeah. top ten. All
1: right, now, this is kind of painful, man. I'm gonna need like some ibuprofen after this or something. Oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> some bad memories here. A drink or something. Yeah, seriously. Oh my god. All right. Well, starting with number ten, uh, I think a lot of people, I, I would say that most people in the the Greater Holland area won't be able to relate to a lot of these. I think they'll be kind of laughing. Uh, when they're hearing my pain, but uh, this one I think we can all agree on, uh, number 10, uh, the Tigers-Giants World Series, um, obviously the Tigers got smoked, you know, Justin Verlander, it's like, it looked so good, like, uh Miguel Cabrera, it's like, they're gonna do it, you know, they're gonna finally win one, and they didn't, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest baseball fan, it's not, definitely not, like, my number one sport, but, like, you know, I really, you know, I've always liked the Tigers, I've been to so many games, and, like, you know, I really wanted them to win that. And, you know, just to see a team that, you know, you have a connection with kind of lose a championship, you know, that's that's never fun. And, like, you know, I, I actually have so many great memories of just, like, you know, Justin Verlander and uh, Miguel Cabrera. You know, all those guys, like, from that era of, like, early 2010s, like, Detroit Tigers were, like, so much fun to watch. Like, Don Kelly. They were great. Yeah, they were awesome. They
0: were great. Yeah. They, were the, they won the division four years in a row. Poised to win the World Series every year. That was the only time they were actually in the World Series because of the Nelson Cruz. My memory, there was one of them. Yeah, but they and then they just got shell shocked. Kung Fu Panda hit three home runs in the game one. Barely, oh, yeah. yeah. well, two of them were up oh. early. And then that just shell shocked them. And uh, I have to say, I was in the, I was there, and I got sprayed with some champagne from the Giants when they won. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: when I was covering that one, not nearly as fun.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, but. Yeah, that definitely was a bummer. Yeah, so yeah, definitely got to lead it off with that one. Um, move, one. Moving on to number nine. Uh, actually, this one is the only one that Dan and I will have in common. Um, it is the the 2015 Michigan-Michigan State punt. Now, uh, some of my best friends in life are Michigan fans, and I was with two of my friends from high school that year. Um, we had graduated since then, but we had linked up, and we uh, were having a little party at my house, and... Uh, So, you know, it's all celebratory. We had plans to play Xbox after, and, like, there's a basketball court by my house. We are going to go, like, play some basketball, and, like, everything was cool, and, uh, you had these friends over, great time, and then the punt happens. (laughs) Or the the punt that never was, rather. And, and, dude, it just killed the vibe. Now, obviously, as an Ohio State fan, I'm sitting there going kind of like, wow, (laughs) like, this is going to be some ammunition for a couple years, if not forever. And, uh, but, honestly, like, one of my friends asked to be taken home, like, you know, the other one just kind of left too when that happened, and, like, it just totally killed the night, and I remember just, like, I, I don't know, I just, I can't even remember what I did after that, I was just like, well, okay, you know, it was supposed to be, like, you know, us hanging out, and, like, it totally just killed the vibe, so, like, while it was bittersweet, you know, I was like, don't get me wrong, like, seeing Michigan agony is always, always a great pastime, but, uh, that time, that's the one time that you know what. Maybe I wish. Uh, eh, who am I kidding? Never mind. <laughs> I'm glad I have it. Happened. <laughs> but you know that night. That night I wasn't. So yeah. But uh, so happy to put that one on there. And then moving on to number eight, uh, my favorite team, the Buckeyes. Um, now 2011 was a weird year, um, and so that's what my number eight is. It's the 2011 Ohio State football season. Um, for those who don't remember. That was right after the Terrell Pryor debacle, the signing helmets and stuff, which I don't honestly blame them for. College athletes kind of get the short end of the stick, um, and sh- I think they should be paid. And, you know, you know, if I put myself in my- someone else's shoes, like, you know, would I have signed helmets for money? You know, yeah. I, you know, to be honest with you, man, I probably would have. Because it's like, yeah, how much are these TV execs making? How much are these coaches making? It's like, I kind of don't blame them. Now, that's a whole other topic. Understood. Yeah, but, like, still, these guys did something wrong. They broke the rules. Terrell Pryor, Davier Posey, uh, some other guys. You know, Pryor leaves. He goes to the supplemental draft. Um, so then, and then Jim Tressel uh, is fired, basically. And so that's Luke Fickle, you know, running the show. And we go six and seven, uh, end the year in some crappy bowl game against Florida. Lose that game, then only to find out we could have self-imposed sanctioned that game that just forfeited our bowl season that year. But instead, it was the next year we had that happen, where we went 12-0 and with, you know, Urban Meyer's first year, and it was like a psychotic year, and then we can't play a bowl game just because of that sanction, which was terrible. So, like, the, 20, the 2011 season was pretty awful. Now, I will say, it ushered in the Urban Meyer era, and some there were some silver linings about it, but it was just, you know, living out the reality of that. Watching your team that has just been so dominant just be terrible basically for a year it was really really strange and i still hold to this day joe Bowserman, uh the guy who split time with braxton miller that year is the worst quarterback i have ever seen in my entire life no offense to joe i'm sure he's had a great awesome guy uh hopefully he never hears this but wow that was one i I mean i don't know how he got the job of quarterback but (laughs) that's not for me to speculate um but, yeah, so 2011 was kind of a year I blank out. Obviously, they lost to Michigan, too. Although, I will say Braxton Miller missed a wide-open guy for a touchdown to win it. But, you know, that's a whole other thing. And woulda, shoulda, coulda. So, you know, we lost to Michigan once, whatever, um, in, my, in my fandom years anyway. But, uh, so, yeah, I had to put that one on there, obviously. Um, moving on to number seven, uh keeping with Ohio State. Um, so... In 2013, uh, Ohio State lost to... Here, I got it pulled up here on my computer. Ohio State lost to Michigan State uh, 34-24 to in the Big Ten Championship. It was a great year for the Spartans. Uh, Connor Cook was the quarterback that year. And it was just a bad game. You know, I thought Ohio State had it in the bag. Like, whatever, you know, Sparty, little brother, you know, whatever. We're going to beat these guys. And no, <laughs> we didn't. Uh, it was bad. And then two years later... 2015, we're playing Michigan State again. Uh, this time, though, just a regular season matchup. And Michigan State wins 17-14. to I was actually in Columbus for that game, like, for, like, a party, and, dude, it was bad. Like, the vibe got negative, like, really fast. It was like, oh, my God, this is brutal. Yeah, it was, uh... Those were the only two times that Sparty really interfered with my, my sports life. Other than that, you know, we have pretty much on cruise control against those guys. But, um, yeah, that was... Ugh, just some two awful games. Just really terrible. I remember the 2013 one, Braxton Miller played, like, terribly, and I was just, ugh. It was just bad. Just just not good games. But I mean, I guess if you're a Sparty fan. But, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, ugh, moving on from that. Um, oh, geez. To more sadness, uh, number six, um, the 2008 Ohio State-Penn State game. I'm not sure how many people will remember this. Um, Penn State, you know, Joe is still the coach, um, defeated Ohio State 13-6, to and what happened was Ohio State had the last possession, and Terrell Pryor, on a QB sneak, on I believe it was a third or a fourth down and one, he, rather than just doing a traditional QB sneak, he tried to like go around the offensive line, and then he got stripped, sacked, and uh, Penn State recovered the fumble and we lost. So then after, the camera showed Terrell Pryor sitting on the bench alone, like, crying, and then Penn State fans made these t-shirts called Terrell Cryer with, like, a little picture of them on it. And, you know, they actually got, like, banned by the school or something. You know, like, the school called out the fans who made them, like, hey, that's bad form, whatever. But the point was still made. I mean, you don't just make a Terrell Cryer and expect that to die. You know, I mean, Terrell Cryer, that that kind of joke is going to live on, and it did. Uh, my friends, I remember saying that that Monday, they like, oh, hey, Terrell Cryer, you know, and, like, you know, growing up, going to high school in Michigan, so uh, that was brutal, but... Yeah, not a good game. And So uh, for all you high school quarterbacks out there in the Highland area maybe listening, uh, yeah, don't try to go around the offensive line uh, on a QB sneak. It just really doesn't work. Take it from me. So uh, anyway, um, all right, that, that covers the first five. Now we're moving into my top five. And uh, coming in at number five is the 2017 uh, Raiders-Texans game. Um you know, 2017 was a strange year for the Raiders. Uh, they went 12 and four. You know, on paper it looks great, but against the Texans, Derek Carr gets hurt out for the season, um, and that really started like the down, the second downfall of the Raiders. I mean, I spent the whole 2017 year like telling people, "Told you so." You know, I knew they were going to be good. I knew this was, you know, they were building towards something. Carr gets hurt. We lose in the wild card round in the playoffs, and then Derek Carr, in my eyes, is just never the same again um, Jack Del Rio ends up getting fired, he was the coach in 2017, he had started like this whole, you know, new era, supposed to be this positive thing, and it really just went downhill to, you know, where we are right now with the Las Vegas Raiders and John Gruden, which, as I've said in previous podcasts, I am not a fan of, but that's a whole other topic, so, yeah, that was just a, not a good game, if Derek Carr doesn't get hurt in that game, you know, who knows what happens, and, you know, we we win that game, I think, and then, get a better spot, we wouldn't have been in the wild card. We would have won the division, I believe. Uh, it was pretty close. And then, yeah, but obviously that's just not the way it played out. So, ugh, bad memories, man. It's bad, bad memories. Uh, number four, uh, I think Michigan fans and even Michigan State fans will be able to relate with me on this one. Now, I think, I'm sure everyone knows that the other name for the Purdue boil- Boilermakers is the Purdote Boilermakers uh, because they just had this uncanny ability to be terrible all year until they play Ohio State or Michigan, and oh god, oh man, I don't even want to say this one, but like, so the first time that Perdon really got us was, it was 2009, um, Terrell Pryor was, it was his freshman year, it was just a brutal game, they won 26-18, to 18, and I remember like, something happened, like my mom got mad at my dad and I, like we got in like a kind of yelled at her or something. I got in trouble. And, like, I ended up moving, like, to a different TV to watch the rest of the game. And, like, it was just like a... And then, obviously, with what was happening in the game, it was like that was amplifying it. And it was just a bad day. <laughs> it was just like, oh, And, like, it was just like this compound effect. And then, um, uh, nine years later, 2018, I was in Illinois working for the LaSalle News Tribune. And I was also a part-time bartender at Michelle's Backstreet. And it was a Saturday night. It was, for some weird reason, it was a primetime game, Ohio State-Purdue, uh, regular season matchup, and we had a band at the bar that night, and I was working, uh, we had two bars, I was working the back bar, and like, it was packed, I mean, just ridiculously busy, and um, so I was recording the game, but eventually someone asked to get it turned on, and I ended up seeing it, and the final score ended up being like 49-20, to 20, so it was something already egregious, and I remember looking at the score and being like, am I dreaming, like, like like some Bohemian Rhapsody kicked in. Like, is this the real life? Is this reality? I was like, what? You know, Purdue and you know Ohio State was ranked. Purdue wasn't. It was terrible. It's like forty nine to twenty, man. That's, that's, oh, and we ended up having like a really good year that year. It was just that was like the one blemish on it. it was so yeah. yeah, it
0: almost wasn't even that they lost, but given up forty nine points. Forty nine.
1: Like yeah, like, I
0: couldn't believe that. I remember that game. Yeah. See, when I was growing up, we called them spoiler makers. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yes, that's a good that's one too. What they did. Yeah, yeah, they're they're ace at that. Yeah, the Purdue spoiler makers. I like it. it's yeah. a, a fitting name. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, so and I know that Michigan's had some really pretty tough losses to them too. So like, yeah, I, I think that's one thing us us Ohio State fans and Michigan fans can agree on that we we all hate Purdue. So
0: right, and it's not like the Drew Brees Purdue. Right. Yeah. It's the Purdue you don't see coming.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's the. What that one quarterback's name? It's the Robert Marv Purdue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. That guy was. He was like the Bionic Man. He had transferred to like three different schools. He like had like a bunch of injuries and, and yeah, and he beat Ohio State. Awful. Um. All right. Now into the top three, the real pain starts to really hit. All right. Now this one's a special one. This is a really special one. So it's not an actual sporting event. So what it was was, and I mentioned this on I know we talked about this on a previous podcast. So in college, I used to do this um, these, these 2v2 NCAA football 14 games and like, it was a big hit at our apartment complex. All these guys come over and I but I used to play people solo too, and I had a six month from like the start of fall semester to like in, for six months, I was undefeated. nobody beat me. And, like, a lot of people challenged me. I remember these one guys came over. They ended up transferring to Michigan State, but I remember they were like, I told them, yeah, you can be Alabama, and I'll be Bowling Green. For some reason, that was my, my team that year. I was like, I'll be the Bowling Green State Falcons, and I'll beat you. And they're like, no way. And guess what happened? I beat them. You know, it was just this dominant period of my life. I really peaked that year. And uh, so one day, it was just an uh, innocuous day. It wasn't like it was a big event. Um, my buddy Chance, but one of my roommates who I'm still great friends with, he's like, hey, man, let's play. You know, let's do it. Okay, you know, fine, whatever, I'll beat you. You know, no problem. You, you really want to take an L tonight? Sure. That's not what happened. I got upset, man. It ended there. But what made it worse was <laughs> I told him I wasn't trying, and there got some bla- some bad blood for a night. And I, I remember I was, like, pretty upset about it. And I, uh, I remember I kicked a laundry basket in my room and it, it was a nice laundry basket, and I actually broke it, I was kind of mad about that, and like, yeah, but then I felt bad, you know, because I said I didn't care, and like, you know, it really did kind of cause a weird vibe in the apartment, so, to make up for it, and now we laugh about it, um, and I actually sent my room, because I just, I'm very glad. so we glad. So, to make up for it, I have this sign, that I'm going to read to you right now, I just got this out of uh, storage, uh, I wrote this up, it says, let it be known, on February 16th, 2016, Bo V. Troutman's undefeated streak in NCAA football 14, which spanned over six months, was ended by Chance J. Doolis by a score of 24-21. Now, leapfrogging onto that, the next, and then there's a little note on here in the back that says, that was written by Chance, it says, following that, Chance had gone on to beat Bo, again, February 17th, row the boat versus the Mighty Falcons, 28-14. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I sent him a picture of that, actually, like, literally the other day, and, like, we were laughing about it, and, like, it really is actually a pretty great, pretty great memory, but at the time, it, it was not a good day. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, and like I said, the offer still stands, I know I wrote a column about it, you know, if anyone ever wants to challenge me, my Xbox One gamer tag is, uh, uh, at Bohio. it's a B-E-A-U-H-I-O, so get at me, but, uh, anyway you <laughs> get
0: at him just for his
1: username guys come on exactly you gotta take me down you know yeah <laughs> all right moving on from number three to number two. Oh man this is this is worse um the Clemson Tigers and Dabo Sweeney are just a, a team and a coach that I nothing they could do nothing they could solve all the world's problems and you know what I'm still gonna hate them um We've lost three huge games in the last decade to that team. It started off with the 2013 Orange Bowl, where Braxton Miller was very clearly hurt. Um, we had the last possession, had a chance to take the lead. Uh, Braxton misses a guy, wide-open guy, that luckily would have been a touchdown. I believe it was Corey Philly Brown. And uh, misses him, ends up like getting sa- a strip sack in the next play. We lose 40-35 to now. Flashback to the beginning of that season, uh, Braxton had had, like, surgery. He was out for the first couple games, and Kenny Guyton was the starting quarterback. And I always thought Kenny Guyton was massively underrated. He actually had some big, like, wins for us. Um, was always kind of that guy around the program, you know, he was well-known. And I thought he was the better passer. I thought Braxton Miller should have been, like, a slot guy from the start because I thought Kenny Guyton was the more gifted quarterback. And if you look back at those first three games, like, I think the numbers, like, show that. Like, I remember we ripped apart the Cal Golden Bears, and he had, like, 400 passing yards. Like, he was really good, where Braxton always kind of struggled. You look at all the big games that Braxton Miller lost, he struggled passing, horrible passing numbers. Like that Michigan State game I brought up earlier, he was, like, 8 for 21 or something. Um, I thought, and I think if you put Kenny Guyton in in that last possession, because Braxton, I mean, it, it came out later that he had to have surgery on his collarbone. Um... You know, I think that if Kenny G comes in, I think we beat Clemson that game and win the Orange Bowl, but obviously, history is history, and I remember reading on a story where, on social media, Kenny Guyton was, like, live-tweeting, rewatching that game years later, and he was like, you could tell he was just salty about how it went down at the end, and you could tell he kind of he kind of knew what his thoughts were, so, uh, Kenny Guyton, if you're out there, if you're listening, man, I support you, man, you were a beast, but, uh, but then 2016, we lost the Fiesta Bowl, got smoked 31 to nothing. That's all I'm gonna say about that one. Yikes! Um, and then the 2019, obviously uh, this last season, we lost it. Uh, lost to Clemson. Um, Justin Fields kind of had a guy wide open, threw an interception in the last drive. And... Oh yeah, uh, there's one. Yeah, that's another team. It's Purdue, Michigan, and Clemson. Man, those are like the three like. Of the of the undead horsemen of college football, man, that just ugh. But uh, I
0: still feel like it's gotta hurt worse for Purdue though, because you kind of expect Michigan and Clemson to be good. I oh know. yeah,
1: yeah, and like Purdue is like supposed to be the one you are supposed to beat, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's right up there, man. Yeah, it's uh, that's debatable. I think Purdue maybe on second thought could be higher, but I don't know those Clemson games just because the gravity of them, you know how big sure. they were. So like, yeah. Pretty brutal. All right, and that transitions very well into number one. And this is the worst one, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it was 2007. It's a doubleheader. Uh, the first part of it is we lost, Ohio State lost to Illinois 28-21 to in the second-to-last game of the year. Uh, they were undefeated. Um, Todd Beckman was the starting quarterback. We had a great year. Chris Wells was the running back, or Chris Beanie Wells, rather. And Juice Williams, if people remember that name, came into the horseshoe, and um, just beat Ohio State 20, I mean, just clean win over Ohio State, man, just juiced, kind of dominated us, Illinois was kind of, you know, middle of the pack, not even that good, but then, miraculously, because, thanks to the BCS, (laughs) uh, Ohio State still ended up making the championship against LSU, Uh, the Matt Flynn and Glenn Dorsey led LSU uh, Tigers, and uh, Ohio State ended up losing 38-24, but... Back to the Illinois one, real quick. I wasn't able to watch that game live, because and that was my first year as like a a true Ohio State fan, like you know someone who watches every game and is into it. And uh, we were doing like a church function at Saint Peter's Catholic Church in Douglas. Um, we had like some youth group event, and I remember I remember exactly where I was when my dad looked me in the eyes like, "Bo, I got something bad to tell you," and they told me we Ohio State had lost. And I remember that just like ruined the night. It just, like, my heart sank. It's, like, one of the... When you get older, you kind of start to accept losses more. But, dude, I can tell you, I can tell you then, man. Like, my world was crushed, like, when they, when they lost that game. It was brutal. Oh, and then LSU. I remember... I was pretty young, you know. I was, I was in middle school. I remember... I remember at halftime the LSU game, man. I remember praying. <laughs> I remember praying to God, like, "Hey, man, come on, we gotta win this one." <laughs> like in the bathroom, like at halftime, I was like, "Oh my!" I was so desperate, like I so wanted them to win. And That's I, when you know, yeah, uh, and, and when they asked
0: God to get to intervene with sports. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: and not like now, mm-hmm. God, please let the sports come back to help everybody with the coronavirus or something like
1: that. But once you go, please help my team win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no coming back from that one. There's not, there's not, yeah. Yep, so they were the better team. I think Ohio State really didn't even deserve to be there. That's the one time I'll say that. We're really, it's like I think that the BCS just kind of scooped us in there. But... Oh, what could have been. So, yeah, that's my top ten, man. It's a lot of a lot of painful Ohio State games, mostly. A lot of rueful but.
0: memories in that bunch for the both of us there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's just, I mean, there's plenty of other errors and bad calls and other things.
1: But, uh, yeah, those were the worst. Yep, definitely. Those were the worst. So,
0: feel free to give us a shout, sports at hollandcentinel.com, uh, or tweet at us um and let us know what's your worst i mean there's got to be some ones just as bad as that for everybody otherwise uh you know you're just rooting for the yankees um but they've had their share too i mean they've had their share uh so it's uh it's it's what makes sports sports is that it's as much or more about losing than it is about winning so yeah those were our those were our worst moments but uh Without those really bad moments, the the sweet taste of the great moments would not be quite as sweet, Abo.
1: Eh, oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back with another topic
0: next week. Hopefully, we'll get some sports, actual live sports going here soon. Uh, but uh, stay safe and healthy, and we will be back next week.